Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, awesome, awesome show that we've got in store for you today. There are some win totals that are starting to trickle out. And so while we will be delivering uh, the fan favorite, you no. Know, over, under, count them up, win totals. We will be dropping that uh, a little bit later in the offseason. Count them up! Yeah, that's right. Just go ahead and get get that tingly feeling. Um, what we're looking at now are some of, the, some of the takeaways that might happen. Like if Vegas is right, if the, all of these numbers hit, which we know they will not, and we will be giving you angles to get the overs and the unders uh, once we get closer to the season. But if these numbers are perfect, what does that mean for coaches? What does that mean for programs? Now, we're going to s- start to follow some of those trails uh, here in just a little bit. But first, uh, a little bit of uh, SEC transfer news. You know, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, Darion Kendrick could end up potentially playing for Georgia. Georgia starts the season against Clemson. Wow, that would be, uh, that would be a, a good, n- nice little advantage for the Bulldogs. How about... Former LSU quarterback TJ Finley transferring to Auburn. Now, we, as we are sitting here uh, recording this on Wednesday, May 26th, we do still need to have some rules officially changed for him to be able to be immediately eligible. But I think the assumption is that he will be eligible. And if so, he may be competing with Bo Nix for the starting job with a new head coach, uh, Brian Harson. And so as we remember TJ Finley, had the starting job, ended up losing it to, to Max Johnson, big Ponchatoula. Uh, you know, the the way that his uh, skill set sets, sets up, uh, I think that we discussed when he left a couple of potential landing spots. Now that we know the landing spot, I guess my question is, uh, number one, is Bo Nix now feeling more pressure uh, in terms of that job that he's had starting quarterback at Auburn since he was a freshman? And then if you're Finley, do you come in thinking that this is a job that you can take? He literally said in a quote, it ain't like I'm coming there to be the backup. So Classic. he certainly has the attitude. I Look, I, I don't think Bo Nix is a great quarterback. I don't know that he's absolutely terrible. I have a little bit of a tough time parsing what was him and what was the Auburn offense around him. Um, Gus Malzahn's track record of developing dropback passers at the the QB position is pretty horrendous, to be frank. Like the second best quarterback he had uh, was Nick Marshall, who was a a safety for Georgia and then transferred over, right? And then obviously Cam when he was an OC. And I'm not going to say we could have done what Gus did with Cam, but I feel like 
we would have scored at least a couple points with Cam because he was Cam. Like, is Bo Nix guaranteed to start? I think he's got the leg up, obviously. He knows the teammates. He has a lot more experience than Finley, but I don't think he's done enough to say that, that Finley has no chance to come in there and start. I mean, I, I think it says a lot because Bo Nix was obviously, you know, he's like a Auburn legacy. He was Gus's guy, but Gus is gone. And there's a new coaching staff in, and I don't think this coaching staff is coming in saying, well, Bo Nix is clearly the guy, or else I don't think they're really out there in the market for somebody like TJ Finley. So we, we, we've talked about on this show before, I, I'm not a big Bo Nix fan either. I do wonder if Brian Harson and a new staff coming in is better for Bo Nix in the long run as far as his you know NFL possibilities. But if you just look at last year, like the numbers between Nix and Finley, and you know Finley obviously only played five games. Nix was Auburn starter all year, played you know much larger sample size. But overall, the numbers really aren't that different. Like as far as like completion percentages are all within a couple points of each other. No, nobody really pulls away from the other one in any of these stats. So it's like, I don't know. I don't think it's out of line at all. And I think Finley probably has the stronger overall arm. I just wonder, you know, Nick's might be more obvious, more dual thready. So it's really going to depend, I think, on what kind of offense Brian Harson and that staff is looking to run in year one. Because I do think, I think Nick's is the starter but I don't think he's guaranteed the starting spot. And if Finley's starting at the beginning of the year or some point early in the year, I won't be shocked. We see coaches on the hot seat all the time. I mean, Bo Nix is on the hot seat uh, as, as far as if you compared the two and had a relative term. Uh, I think he'll start the season because Finley already missed a spring. That's a huge advantage for Bo mm-hmm. Nix to get a system, to have those reps. He's already started two years, and I do think that leadership, the intangibles, I think that matters. But could would it shock you if at, when they go on the road to Penn State, if he struggles and they lose, that they possibly make a switch in that game? And then by October 2nd, going to Baton Rouge, if Finley was the, started, uh, the starter, could you imagine if this unfolded? I don't know. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that. I mean, Bo Nix has been incredibly up and down. But I think if you're an Auburn fan, or if you're the Auburn coaching staff, like you're thrilled that there is what appears to be a very viable option in case Bo Nix struggles. Because I remember when we talked about Auburn after the spring game, it was like, well, how who is who is going to unseat Bo Nix if he does struggle? And now you've got a pretty good answer to that question. And if you're a believer in competition, which you should be, that Bo Nix either will improve his play because he doesn't want to get benched and he has to, and if he doesn't, they'll have another option to try out in that circumstance. So I think this is a great situation for everybody. And I think Finley goes there. I think his mindset should be, hey, there's a quarterback who, yeah, he's been the starter, but he doesn't have a lock on that job. And so I think it's attractive to everybody involved. I think it is likely that whoever is the starting quarterback for Auburn will struggle during the first half of the season. You know, like, because you mentioned the the roadie at Penn State. You mentioned going to Baton Rouge to play LSU. You've got Georgia the very next week after that. I mean, it. we could see both of these quarterbacks. Like, the, you can ride Tank Bigsby to uh, a win against Akron, a win against Alabama State, a win against Georgia State, but you are going to need difference-making play at the quarterback position to beat Penn State on the road, LSU on the road, and Georgia anywhere. I don't, you could be playing that game uh, at home with nothing but friends, family members, and students, and you're still going to need some difference-making pl- uh, quarterback play. Um, 
It's yeah, because my spring takeaway was that this was going to be a, a downhill rushing attack. That uh, what was it, the Boise State's running back named George Halani? Wasn't that it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like you could really ride Halani like all the way to to you know impose your will on a defense. And SEC defenses are not Mountain West defenses, but I do think that Tank Bigsby is that kind of back that you could uh, potentially see playing that kind of role. But to be able to win those games against Penn State. LSU and Auburn and maybe even Arkansas before you hit the bye too. Uh, I'm not totally uh, convinced that Arkansas defensively presents any of the kind of challenge that some of those other opponents do, but going on the road to Fayetteville ain't easy. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. So we mentioned that there are starting to be some win totals that uh, are starting to drift out. Uh, there is, uh, there's, there's a DraftKings set. There's some other sets. Our official numbers uh, will be, of course, with our partners at William Hill. We will be rolling out those win totals episodes to uh, ask the question everyone asks. How many games are going to win this fall? And that will be oh, William Hill. Yeah, let's, let's go get, get these things up. <laughs> um, we we love we love to deliver those uh, shows to you, and uh, and of course um, that is on the schedule for the off season. But as we wanted to take that this information that we've got and and see what we could learn from it, see what we could find that's particularly interesting to discuss. It is the idea if. Vegas is right. If all of these numbers hit, if these numbers are the number of regular season wins that all of these teams have, what does that mean for coaches? What does that mean for programs? Uh, I've got a a list of uh, observations. Do you want to start on the hot seat side of this? Bud, you had a a real, in our pre-show meeting, you mentioned an angle that I I overlooked because I've got some hot seats on here. But you've also got the hired away, so maybe let's like, like for example, would you, uh, would you say Coastal Carolina? Yeah, I just thought there was an interesting little little trio here that popped out at me, guys. Who, if they hit these numbers that Vegas establishes, are are they gone? And I, you don't want to speak in absolutes, but I think you would lean to them. Maybe Chadwell's gone. If Jamie Chadwell wins ten games, that's it. Yeah. So Coastal Carolina ten, Iowa State nine and a half. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette or just Louisiana uh, nine and a half. I think those, those three popped out to me is like, okay, if they do it again and they're on that level, they got to bounce. Right. Yeah. I think Chadwell for sure. If they win 10 games will probably be gone because I just think that he's going to be the big name on the market. So he's going to, it's, it's going to be a situation where he's going to have so many offers that I'm not sure he's going to be able to realistically say no logically. I, I think with Campbell at Iowa state, and even with Napier at Louisiana, we've seen they're more willing to wait. So I, I feel like Napier's probably gone if the Cajuns, you know, win, win 10, 11 games, win the Sun Belt again. He's obviously he's going to be attractive. He was attractive this year, but he's already turned down, you know, depending on who you ask, multiple SEC gigs. So is he waiting for one gig in particular or is he just waiting for like a top level cream of the crop job to come offering. So I guess that would probably play a role in it. And with Matt Campbell, I don't know. I mean, as, as Dennis Dodd has said, to, he, you know, the lions offered him over 60 million and control. And he said, no. So it's like, I, I don't know what Matt Campbell's looking for to leave if he's planning to leave Ames. So I don't know if that would really seal the deal on him leaving. Of course, if Jim Harbaugh got fired in Michigan, we all know what the rumors and where Michigan's probably going to go looking. So that, uh, I mean, are there, to take a, a real quick, just from the Iowa State side of it, Oklahoma's number is 11 and it is juiced to the over. 
mm-hmm. I, I guess Oklahoma's that team. I mean, I guess Oklahoma's going to be out here. Maybe they're projecting maybe going 12 and 0. That that would be um it's not a surprise to say that Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. That's something we've come to expect, you know, without a doubt. But at the same time, we've seen Oklahoma take lumps, right? Like Oklahoma is good for one regular season loss. But, you know, this this number at 11 with the minus 139 to the over, that's that's certainly suggesting that we've got a, a 12 and 0 in play situation for the Sooners. Can we can we agree as a podcast? Can we come together the four of us right now? and say that Oklahoma under 11 at plus 110 is something that all four of us are going to bet on. <laughs> Just on Just principle. On no. principle. You, uh, no? No, like I'm, you, I'm not. I'm not buying worst. into the rest. Are yeah, you? I think the push at worst is the thing, the reason you take it. Yeah, I mean, and so, you're getting plus money. So let's bring up an interesting point here, or something I find interesting. Y'all find, might find it really boring. If you have a credit account, so you're betting <laughs> on credit, and you don't have to pay the guy till the end of the year, Betting on on regular like season win totals that are even numbers so that the, that don't end in a half win is is more fine. If you don't, you are in many cases putting aside your money for six months to where you can't bet it again because the, the bookie is holding it or the you know the, the book whatever. And there's a decent chance you're just getting it back without interest because it's going to push. So. You need to think about that. Like if you if you are somebody out there who has multiple options, right? Maybe you have a guy that lets you bet on credit or something, then you have a guy that you have to you have to you know front the money down. Uh, bet the ones you have to put the money down with the guy. Like uh, bet, bet your half win totals there. Bet your bet your even number win totals or your your whole your whole number win totals on credit. That way you're not you know putting aside a bunch of money you can't bet again for the year only to just just push on it. Well, as a YouTube, podcast, YouTube exclusive. Hold on, YouTube exclusive place bet. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Did you really just hit it? Yeah. Well, I mean, can I ask you what what the max I'll let you put down on this early is? I I'm not. I doesn't really say, and I don't have the kind of money to find out. The so <laughs> the type in like 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 three thousand. Will they take it? Or will it say? Uh, don't accidentally do that, Tom. Uh, on YouTube, do don't accidentally do that. But like, I have a I have a confession to make. Hey, please. I have never made a win total bet. I think They're this is the out. year that that. That, that changes. I think it might change this year as well. I've always just never had the patience or the mindset to wait around for that long. The only bet that I'll take, and I've taken this a couple times, is on a national champion, and I've done it with Florida State for fun. Like, put 30 bucks on them to win at, th- you know, whatever crazy long shot what odds it was, just so I could say I told you so, even though I had little to no faith they were actually going to do it. I'll probably do it again this year. Just almost like, it's almost like, paying you know some sort of service charge to be a florida state fan like i just want to be in there for my (laughs) squad but other than that like and i I, i've taken a couple others but most part i don't like to wait that long for the payout i have way too much i'm way too i just want to know what i'm going to do i oh this might be the wrong time to make it up or bring it up but do we want to do like a, a podcast fantasy league this year where chip we've done this before with with the college football crew but uh Oh, you draft draft teams. We draft teams, and then based on how many games they win, whoever wins the most, whoever drafts the most wins. There's bonuses for bowl games, uh, division titles, conference titles, and playoff berths. Sounds like a great summer pod. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, so 
And uh, then like there's there's rules for you have to draft a certain amount of teams from certain conferences. We could, you know, we'll figure out oh, we'll figure it out off the air. Well, the Edgewater uh Entertainment Emporium and Sports Book did declare uh, when we were setting our win totals for the 2020 season, that any whole number win totals are cowardly and yes. that all it is just cowardice to set anything at a whole number. Everything should be uh, at a half so that you have to make a decision on it one way or the other. Eliminate push from the equation, but still, but I, I do appreciate and I am interested in, in that line of thinking in terms of uh, whole numbers versus half numbers, credit versus debit uh, as, as it comes to win totals. Now, you mentioned if Michigan were to make a move on Jim Harbaugh. Michigan's number is eight and it is juiced to the under. I think if Michigan goes seven and five, Jim Harbaugh is in trouble. Yeah, probably. <laughs> this is, oh man, I might, I might, Jesus, this is going to be like Florida bets the other day. Uh, even at the pay cut, even with him, like, well, he didn't get his bonuses. He didn't get any of that extra money. This because uh, seven and Does five. Michigan care about winning? I mean, but the non-con That's your is answer. I think like, the I non-con is Washington. Do. Like, if the non-con is Washington and you're seven and five, that means that you have lost uh, to a Pac-12 opponent or and or multiple division opponents. Well, so did you look at their game? So their games. I looked at their individual games. They're two and a half point uh, underdog against Washington, nine point underdog against Wisconsin, 11 and a half point underdog against Ohio State, and a seven point underdog against Penn State. There's your four losses right there. Yeah, so that's where they've. Well, but yeah. Washington is a coin flip. I mean, at two I and think a half. So too. And, and some other books have, have Michigan favored by two and a half. So, like, I think it's fair to really call that. Kind of, Tom's nodding. I think he already took Michigan as a dog, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I, I, I see that smile. Um, I, I thought about doing the same, to be honest. I, I mean, okay, so what's the path to seven and five, though? Indiana or, and or Penn State. Like, when it, those yeah. are the losses that are damning. If you lose to, like, the... But you can go nine and three and lose, lose to Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin. Correct. Mm-hmm. Even, even in a loss... A, but if you beat... lose a, all five? They're only a six-point favorite against Michigan State, which I thought was pretty interesting. Oh, lose Michigan alarming. State and watch that ramp up. Who the losses right. are against has to matter, and what the um, what the offense looks like has to matter. But I I think that on a just if you lay it out there and you say um, you know Jim Harbaugh has rebooted his staff, he has taken a pay cut. You know we've we had a, a really disappointing season a year ago. We never got any kind of consistent play out of the quarterback position, but you know, it was a delayed season COVID season, but this year is going to be a bounce back and your bounce back is seven and five. Seven and five is hard to see Michigan using like budgetary reasons when, when they get that huge check from the big 10 seems a little bit hollow to me. Like if they really care about winning, you know, then, then I, I think we'll see it. I I'm not convinced Michigan they want to win at the highest broke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, come on. <laughs> they, they, they go to Italy. So if they shouldn't have. If they're seven and five, don't you feel like Harbaugh himself might come to that realization? Like he might 
decide, oh, this isn't working. Well, I mean, I if, if we've got like injury issues or like something else that you could like explain away, or maybe if they were close um, in a couple, if there was on field reasons why things did or didn't turn out nine and three and instead went seven and five, then I could see Harbaugh sticking around. But I mean, you might be right, Danny. Maybe it's just a Jim Harbaugh decision. Like the, but what if, go ahead. What if they were six and five going into the Ohio state game and then they finished seven and five? Oh, then he's That's, good. Yeah. You know, that was funny because I actually talked to Jim Brandstatter, their play-by-play guy this morning. And we, I was trying to get him to say, like, I was trying to get him to say, like, hey, the odds makers have eight and four. And he was not having any of it. Because, you know, I was like, hey, well, you know, you're probably going to lose to Ohio State, like, as gently as I could to the voice of the Michigan Wolverines. And he's like, I'm not chalking that up as a loss. Not yet. We still got to play the game. You know, and he would not sacrifice anything. But then at the end, I was like, Vegas has them eight and four. If they're eight and four, what what is the pulse of Michigan? And he goes, well, what games are they? You know, he's like, if we beat Ohio State, that's all that matters. So I do think it does matter probably more so than most schools we're even going to talk about is if you beat Ohio State for the first time, and there is optimism, and maybe it's because you made a change of quarterback, whatever the reason is, that probably does become a job salvaging win, if that's the case. If they are around seven and five at that point and they win that game to get there, then I think that game holds the utmost importance. It's very tough for me to envision a scenario in which Michigan has already lost four games and beats an Ohio State team that would either be healthy or not aided by like five or six turnovers. Like, like I can't really picture a scenario where they beat a high quality playoff contending Ohio state team. If they're six and four and legitimately outplay them, but it would they be only, hilarious. Right? They only ran four <laughs> plays all season to keep it <laughs> right. to bust out the big game plan for Ohio state. So I've got uh one speak while we're uh, here in the big 10, what is a fair, uh, judgment on Jeff Brom if Purdue goes five and seven. The number is right at five. The juice is evenly split on both sides of this thing. I think that six and six, you, you're just, you know, you're nodding your head. You're saying, okay, you know, it's still working, still building things up. Uh, I think that if it's four and eight, um, I bet those are a little bit tougher questions when you're meeting with the athletic director and you're saying, all right, coach, what's your game plan? You know, what's, what does the future look like? Um, how does, how does that Purdue line sit in y'all's eyes? I don't, if, if they finish like five and seven, I don't know that Brom gets fired, but I definitely think he enters 2022 on a hot seat. He could get, if, if it's four and eight, three and nine, it could happen this year. So yeah, I, I think that's a dangerous win total. It's a concerning win total if you're Purdue. I've got another one in the Big Ten for you, though, if you want to talk about that one, which is the absolute most cowardly line you could have because they've got the win total set at six and they've got it evenly juiced on both sides. So it is it is the, the absolute average win total. Nebraska. Mm. If the Cornhuskers go six and six, is Scott Frost back next year? Yes, it, didn't our president just talk about winning nine games? He right? mentioned it, yes. I mean, that, that'd, be, that'd be three under expectation of, of your boss. I, I don't know. If, if we missed our traffic numbers by 50%, I'm not sure EK would, would be like, <laughs> guys, good job. Like, you know, that, that might be a little, uh, a little weird. I, I think with Purdue, there's an interesting concept here, and that is if you are a lowly program like Purdue is, 
I guess that's the right word. Uh, you know, the program, a middling at best program. If, if you have a, a guy who does really well in one of his first years, you're probably going to have to overpay to lock him up because somebody else is going to try to hire him away quickly, as Louisville was rumored to want to do with Brom. You have to overpay to keep him. That doesn't guarantee, though, that you're going to have success. You are locking in a chance at success. But, like, Purdue still has enormous institutional challenges, talent getting, you know, like, like recruiting <laughs> challenges, location challenges, academic challenges. Like, there's no guarantee that, that, that Brom's going to win there, and there's absolutely no guarantee they don't fall on their face if they fire him. I mean, I could easily see the next guy coming in and doing much worse than Brom did. It's not a place where you win at historically. Yeah. And they've got be careful like, what you wish for. If you look at their schedule, it is not the friendliest for as far as Purdue is concerned. Because like, you know, they've got three non-con games. Two of them are against power five opponents. They've they've got Oregon State at home to open the year. And then after a road trip to UConn, which should be an easy win, but you know, it's a road trip, so that adds at least a little bit of complication to it. They get Notre Dame on the road a week later. So it's like they start with Oregon State, UConn, Notre Dame. This is a team that could easily be one and two before Big Ten play even starts. Watch out for the New York Times national champions. Uh, On Lincoln Riley, and not Lincoln Riley, on Scott Frost, uh, if in Lincoln, uh, if Nebraska is six and six, 10 year extension. First bowl appearance under Scott Frost. All right. We did it. We got him. Like shoot off the shoot off the cannons. Drop the banner. Uh, if the Cornhuskers finish better than fifth in the division, it is the best finish under Scott Frost. So six wins, better than fifth. Those would be steps forward for the Scott Frost Cornhuskers. And who would have thunk that when he was hired after going 13-0 and with UCF to come take over his alma mater? Well, here, Okay, let's put it this way then. Like, say they get to 7-5 and five or even 8-4, and four, but the losses are they get their butts kicked by Oklahoma. Like, and I mean, never even in it. Just get their butts kicked. They get their butts kicked by Michigan. They get their butts kicked by Ohio State. They get their butts kicked by Wisconsin. So they're eight and four, but they were absolutely demolished in all four of their losses to the top of the Big Ten. What does that do for Scott Frost and Lincoln? I think he's still fine. Eight and four. Highest win total under Scott Frost. Yeah, eight and four. They're doing, they're, they are giving him an extension if they go eight and four. I don't think they care about but it. But if they're losing by like 30 points to every good team. Eight and four. <laughs> yeah, We're on our way. We'll close it. that gap. Let's go. Yeah. The, after but I think what's interesting, though, like. with Scott Frost is six and six is probably a reasonable expectation. For I think where it they're is with the schedule. Be. Yeah. Yeah. It's and just, I think, I, I do wonder, I do think, like, uh, and it, again, a lot of this depends on how does it look and are there blowout games, but are, are they making progress? And I know it's not a big jump that you want to see if you're a Nebraska fan, but I think getting to six win- wins would be seen as progress. Like, you can breathe, you're not. People aren't mocking you anymore. I know not a lot of people are mocking them, but I do think like a lot of people are wondering, like, why did he get the extension? And at least you could point to, okay, we're headed in the right direction. And you could lay a foundation and say, we're at least stepping this way. And then the following year, I do think he enters the season on a much warmer seat, even if it is six and six. I haven't followed the, like, I don't have the chart for like the percentage performance, but just like off the top of my head, doesn't it feel like every Nebraska season under Scott Frost has not been anything linear? Like it's just been all over the place. Like to, to say a step forward, 
Nebraska football under Scott Frost has felt disjointed to me where you'll see uh, a quarter, a game, like stretches where you're like, what? That's it. There, there you go. You've got it. And then it just totally disappears. Uh, it's, I mean, like Tom, would you say that that's a, a fair broad stroke on, on Nebraska football and, and living up to like expectations of consistency in winning football? It just feels like it's been really, really hard for them to ever have like a complete game. Like even in games that they win, there's always like a glaring deficiency within the game with the team. And I feel like they just haven't had that moment. But can we just talk about the fact that Scott Frost is entering his fourth year at Nebraska and we're talking about going six and six as a step forward? They've just had a ton of recruiting challenges, to be honest. Um, Like we, we could probably deep dive this on another episode, but he was in that first class of coaches that were hired during during the early signing period. And I guarantee you, if you look at the first class he signed, it's an absolute disaster. Just like, you know, Mullins and Pruitts and Willies and basically every, every coach you tried to scramble to, to get a new class there that was, when they were just hired, it, it absolutely tanks you. The next year they signed a couple kids who were pretty questionable, either academically or character wise, and almost all of them flucked out or, or bailed like immediately. So the talent on the roster does not match up to what their star ratings were because those kids just aren't on the roster anymore. I do think for that reason, six and six would be good. I don't think they have good players. Um, Now, part of that's on Scott Frost for not doing a better job, but there's also some big time challenges there. There were a program, I think that was absolutely hurt by the pandemic because like everybody's like, where's Nebraska? I've never been in Nebraska. Like there's zero chance that a lot of these kids have ever just passed through Nebraska, whereas, you know, if you're Florida or you know Georgia Tech, at least you could go over to their campus, you couldn't meet with the coaches, but you could check it out. Um, I think he's had some really difficult circumstances there, but also, you know, they, they made some mistakes in recruiting. After a seven-month war of attrition, it is the match the world has been waiting for. Manchester City, Chelsea, an all-English UEFA Champions League final. It's this Saturday, May 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern, streaming live on Paramount+. Plus. It has been uh, a fantastic run for both of these clubs, and they are going to just uh, be meeting with all of the highest stakes for everyone involved uh, on both sides, both managers, both squads, all the fans. Everyone will be tuning in to the Champions League final. Manchester City and Chelsea, Saturday, May May 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern time, streaming live on Paramount+. Plus. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash UCL to start your free trial today. I know that you probably already got your Paramount Plus subscription because we've been telling you about the mountain of entertainment for so long, but if you are one of the few who does not have Paramount Plus yet, the Champions League final, that is when you want to jump in. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash UCL to start your free trial today. And Come, if you're listening to this go ahead. before it starts, take the red card prop on today's Europa League final. It should be about plus 300. Any player? Red card yes or red card no? Red, red card, card yes. Given, yes. All right. Any club. <laughs> it's kidding. Coming up on the other side, if Vegas is right... What coaches might be having some tough conversations at the end of the year? And what is going on in the Pac-12? Will anyone win 10 games? Next. 
Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So I did notice that in the Pac-12, here are the, here's the top of the odds boards. Oregon, nine, even split. Arizona State, nine, even split. USC, nine, juiced to the under. Washington, nine, juiced to the under. Utah, eight and a half, juiced to the under. Um, so will anybody win 10 games? Uh, according to the juice... Oregon and Arizona State might actually be the teams that finish with the higher win totals. Now, again, because this is the Pac-12, you play nine conference games. Your division winners are settled by um, are, are settled by those uh, conference records. Washington plays Michigan. Like there's there's some pieces in that that I I could see a team finishing with a higher or equal win total, but not necessarily winning the division. But are Oregon and Arizona State? Are we assuming that they are? the favorites in their respective divisions. And what do we make of uh, this Pac-12, which much like uh, Danny, your assertion the other day, I think it's going to be a, a, a conference with a lot of like good teams, teams that you think are pretty good, but just no one jumping out ahead of everybody else. It looks like the odds makers are, are kind of right there with you. That was the first thing that I saw that jumped out to me. I'm like, uh-oh, it's bad news for the uh, Pac-12 because I, I – you mentioned the nine-game conference schedule, and I know we want to kind of look at the Pac-12, how you would fix it. I almost feel like one of the things I would do if I was the commissioner is look at scheduling and go to an eight-game conference schedule. Like, go the opposite direction. Like, get a couple easy wins. Give your team uh, a chance to just get to that double-digit win total so you're more in the conversation. I thought the surprising one was Arizona State. Like, that they're, that they're the same as USC, and yet – like when you look at it, they're heading the right direction. There's a lot of optimism. And then my other thought was what happens to Clay Helton if they hit the number exactly? Like that's almost your worst case. If you're a USC fan or any one of you guys who want Clay Helton out of there, like what if it's good, but it's not great, but it's not awful? Like do you go one more year? And that's like the tweener zone that you don't want to be in. I mean, shout out to the Peristyle podcast. Ryan Abraham, USC football does an awesome job. Their fans would go nuts if they go nine and three, because that is like the worst possible outcome. Yes. Like, give them eleven and one, give them five and seven, give them something where there's no doubt in, in, in either direction. Nine and three, purgatory, is just, yeah, awful, exactly. Although I, I mean, eight and four, uh, Mike, oh, they're AD now, Mike, um, Bone, the guy that got Bone. Cincinnati, yeah, Bone, Mike yeah. Bone. At some point, you want to put your own stamp on the program, right? As the AD, because you don't get unlimited number of years as an AD either. And I understand why they kept Clay Hilton because. Apparently, they owe him a lot more money than a lot of us in the media realize, certainly more than I realized. And I don't know they had as much money to spend uh, as maybe we we thought. Otherwise, maybe James Franklin is the coach there right now. 
But at some point, you got to decide like I want to. You want to get your own guy in there, or you're endorsing the guy who's in there. And nine and three would be a really difficult call on Arizona State. What what games are they underdogs in? At Utah, probably pick- at Wa- at Washington. I'm, Are they dogs at home to USC? At, yeah, I would think so. I mean, I can't guarantee it. It might be like a one or two point deal, but I could see that being the case come November because I think USC is probably going to be off to a pretty strong. Are they dogs at UCLA? So. No. Well, UCLA, by the way, on Maybe. here is at seven. No. So we've got a game and a half gap. There are five teams between nine and eight and a half. Then we've got a game and a half drop for UCLA, which is down there at seven, juice to the under. Washington State, six, juice to the over. I would bet the under on this if I, if I was forced to. On Arizona State? On SC? Yeah. yeah no, on Arizona State. I oh, have a hard same. time seeing them get to 10 and two because that basically means you split Washington, USC, at Utah, at UCLA, and have no upsets in any other games. And that seems unlikely. Yeah. I, any Clay Helton haters want to take the under on USC? I'll take the over. No. So I don't want the I want I don't Bud's want the under because the over is juiced. But I mean, here's the thing, like what what does Mike Bone do if USC's nine and three? He does the same thing he does if they're ten and two they're eight and four or anything that doesn't involve winning the pac 12 you fire clay helton and you get a new coach and you think he does that i like the listener i I like the list i mean what he should do the listener mailbag by the way mailbag episode if you want to get it in as always leave a five-star review and your question in the mailbag but last mailbag episode the listener pointed out it's like hey like if that's that's the luke fick like yeah eight and four is probably uh like a fickle or bust situation you pick up the phone. You say, hey, Luke, how's it going? Here's the deal. Here's what it would be. No? Okay. And then you keep Clay Helton. But if it's yes, then you bring in Luke Fickle and you go ahead and, and make that happen. That's what I think that that purgatory is. Is it you don't fire and then start a search. You only fire once you know you've got the replacement lined up. I think you got to make a decision to get out of purgatory. Now, who knows which way you go when you get out of there, but that's how you get out. I've got, uh, is Justin Wilcox in trouble if he goes five and seven? I, I saw that and it was, it kind of peaked my eyebrow a little bit. I don't think he's in trouble because I don't think that Cal is at a place where it's like, you know, bowl game or, you know, you're gone. I, I think that obviously it would be, it wouldn't be a good season for it. It wouldn't be a good thing for his overall status as the coach there. But I don't think he's in a position where he's going to get fired this year unless like things completely bottom out or a bunch of other stuff goes wrong within the program. So five and seven, I'm not worried about it for Wilcox. That Cal number's five and a half, by the way, and it is juiced to the over. He'd be hired away so quickly. Like Justin Wilcox is really well respected by, by other mm-hmm. coaches. He's a good recruiter. He's in a place where you really can't win at Cal. Like, very, like uh, what they have a couple years there in the early 2000s where they had Aaron Rodgers and a couple guys and, and they, they did decently, but like they're not going to Rose Bowls, you know, like they're getting close to bowls, making some bowls. That's kind of your ceiling at Cal. I, I feel like they also have a really tricky non-conference schedule. They have to go to TCU and they open up hosting Nevada who has Carson Strong, who's a really dang good quarterback and Nevada, I think is a program on the rise. That's, that's a tough schedule. And they also have to get, uh, they, they get USC 
and Oregon and Washington. Like this yeah. is not a good draw for them this year. So you think it could be a quality team that if they go six and six, that's a really good season. And if they go five yes. and seven, yeah. then it was mostly because of the draw. And it, when you say he would be hired away, is that like if things um, start to get a little bit tough, he would have options for lateral moves or like he the, would be like, like one of those $2 million defensive coordinator types. Oh, I think in bingo. I got, okay. I see what and you're saying. Like a rehab job somewhere. Like let's say Alex Grinch goes and gets a job somewhere. Oklahoma, Oklahoma California. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, <laughs> not the Dana leave West Virginia to go take Houston, but uh, instead like a little bit more of the go join a successful staff where you can get paid a whole bunch of money to be DC. Right. Yeah. And you look at that schedule. There's like, they've got the early buy and then they finish up with seven straight games, but more than anything, three of their last four games are on the road. So that's a team that's probably going to be limping to the finish line. But who else was on your list uh, in, in terms of the, the name, the, the teams that stood out and what it might mean for the coaches. Bowling Green at one and a half wins. Under. I, I, yeah, <laughs> and I feel like we could have called this one when they made the hire. This was kind of a weird hire to me. Um, it's sometimes you just know, I think, and sometimes you know, you think you know and you're wrong. But like Les Miles, Scott Leffler. Not, I mean, one, one and a half. Here's a couple. I'll just throw these out, and you guys just react to them. The Hokies at seven. Georgia Tech at four and a half. Duke at four. Well, maybe a retirement there. I, I, I was thinking uh, LSU eight and a half. That feels right. I don't think that that's an indicate. Do you think that LSU going eight and four is like Coach O is yes. in trouble? I do. Yes. Wow. Okay. Because I feel like I it, ma- it makes them think that, they're, that they have Gene Chizik on their hands. Hey, man, we had one outlier season. All these other seasons, he loses a bunch of games that based on how we recruit, he shouldn't lose. All the dis, this stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm going to lose my voice pointing to 2018. LSU was a good football team in Joe Burrow's first year as a starter, and like Jamar Chase's freshman year. Clyde Edwards-Helaire is more of a rotation player. Grant Delpit first flashes on the scene. Like the the pieces were set in motion the year before, and I kind of think that that's my that's what I hang my hat on when I say that I think that Coach O has some value and he's not a total chizik. All right, let's do a round of beers. When we, when we finally do a cover three meetup, if LSU goes eight and four or worse and they retain Coach O, I'll buy. Okay. <laughs> if they keep, if, if they fire him, you buy. Deal. If they go eight and four or worse. If they go I eight. will drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. There we go. Throw it on. Yeah, I th- think it's interesting, though, because it kind of goes back to the Harbaugh conversation. What are the four losses? What are the eight wins? What does it look like? Like, if they're, you know, if they're getting, and they're probably going, what are they, what's their line against? Uh, Alabama, isn't it something crazy like 23? Like 23 and a half or so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which no, I got probably, that down. It's like 19 now. Yeah. Um, but if they get trounced by Florida, like, you know, then that could be a rough look for them. I think it depends on how it unfolds. And like, you could easily see a situation like it started to implode on them last year. It looked like they were going to throw in the towel. It looked like it was going off the rails. And then they win their last two games to salvage everything. Like, I think it'll be similar. I think it's going to be a roller coaster for LSU. See, I think another reason why like an eight and four is the end of Orgeron is because if you look at their schedule and the way it breaks down, like the early part of their schedule should be wins. Like this is a team that could easily be six and oh to start the year. So if they're six and oh before that Florida game and then they finish eight and four, 
because they've got Florida, they've got Ole Miss on the road, they've got Alabama on the road, then they've got a tough game at Arkansas with Arkansas. They're going to have a tough game with Texas A&M. If they lose four of those games after starting six and zero to finish eight and four, I think he's gone. The other thing, Danny, to flip it, like who are the four losses? Who are the eight wins? Yeah, like try to sell these eight wins to to an. I'm going to give them like the the eight most likely wins. Okay, UCLA, McNeese State, Central Michigan. Mississippi State, Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. Those are the teams you're able to beat. Yeah. So you're losing AM, Bama, Old Miss, Florida. LSU Guys fans are going to go for that. Yep. Florida at home, too. That'll that'll sting it. And it's been like depends on how that game looks, too. Uh you you threw off you rolled out a couple ACC teams there, bud. Um it like looks like a three team league if Vegas is right because Clemson at eleven and a half, North Carolina at ten, Miami at nine and a half, a two and a half game drop before you just get to like just the old school ACC coastal chaos just jumble here. Boston College at seven, Pitt at seven, Virginia Tech at seven, Wake Forest at six and a half, Louisville at six and a half, NC State at six would feel and it's juiced to the over, but six and six or seven and five, I think NC State fans are disappointed with at the end of the year even though you're drawing the three teams at the top. When I mentioned it's a three-team league, all of them are on NC State's schedule as they always have North Carolina and Clemson, and they draw Miami this year. Down at the bottom, if Duke does go three and nine, those are uh, those are some tough discussions. New athletic director uh, just introduced at Duke University to Nina King. That will be... Uh, that will be a, a the first of a couple of big decisions that she's going to have to make in terms of that Duke athletic department. So uh, I think that when she was introduced, it was already like part of the narrative. This is going to be the athletic director who hires David Cut- Cutcliffe's replacement and Mike Shashevsky's replacement. Um, we'll we'll see if three and nine would get that. I think that if it it's juiced to the over, if they're four and eight or five and seven, and look. Like they are not the friendliest team in all of college football, giving the ball to uh, the opponent and like look a little bit tight, more buttoned up on the offensive side of the ball after making some changes to the offensive staff. I think that I could see Cutcliffe being motivated to continue to keep it going, but a three and nine where you're just getting, if it's a three and nine where they're getting run over by most ACC teams, I I would not be surprised if those discussions break in the way of, of taking it in a different direction. I will say, though, if you're the AD at Duke and you're very likely going to be having to replace both Cutcliffe and Coach K, don't you kind of want to do a test run with the football coach first? Without a doubt. 100%. Yeah. No, that is that is absolutely uh, a, a portion of that. Um, Virginia what Tech gets... lands Arch Manning? <laughs> what, what, does that save his job, even regardless of three and nine? Like, look what's on the horizon. Look what's coming in. You know what that does? Go- that gives him the right to name his successor. You know, that, that, that gives him, if he gets Arch Manning, then he gets to tap, uh, his favorite assistant coach to be able to, to promote them, to take over as the, uh, the head coach after him. Um, Virginia tech at seven feels right, bud. Does that, do you think that that brings up some, the Justin Fuente heat? Yeah. I think he's gone at seven and five. I would agree. Yeah. I think so too. All right. I mean, there's no, there's no recruiting momentum. He, he has not gotten talent to the Hokies, you know, and uh, like just wh- wh- what's the trajectory in Blacksburg if they go seven and five? Um, TC- Playing out the string. Yeah. TCU. What about Jeff Collins? Ooh. Four and a half. Like, see, that's like, that's going to depend, I think, on 
you know, they're, they're making the transition from option to, you know, more modern football, but like, that's a process that takes time. So are you in a situation where it's like you're demanding, okay, it's time for us to start going to bowl games already, or are you willing to give them a little more time? Cause I do think that like, if you go four and eight, they're kind of like, man, that's, we're not really seeing a lot of t- signs, but at the same time, you kind of knew it was going to be an adjustment period going from where you were to what you're trying to get to. How- I think too, this is what's going to, uh, it's funny. Cause we say it takes time to a football fan base time is two years it's like oh yeah we should yeah. two years we should see this the last year was a wash like COVID is just a weird year right you lose a lot of development we knew like I would have said in three years for Jeff Collins realistically the third year is when you want to see a, a nice step in improvement you get to six and six or do you get to a bowl game um, but because you lost that year like this might be another year where it is a four and eight or a five and seven but I think you ha- – and this is where I think as an athletic director or whoever's making the decision that you have to have a really good pulse of culture, buy-in, wh- you know, like where are, are the pl- players responding to the coach, to his coaching style? And if they're not, like if they're – if they've – if he's lost the, the locker room, then you make the tough decision, you move on. But if you still see buy-in, if you still see momentum on the recruiting trail, if you still see positive, you know, signs behind the scenes – that's where you have to go out there and voice that support. That's where I think it gets really tricky for some of these, you know, win totals that are out there. I, I agree with you guys. Actually, I wasn't throwing that up as I think he will be gone. I just wanted to see your reactions on it. I mean, if, if you're going to make this change, you need to have sort of all in buy-in from the admin last year was basically a total wipeout with COVID. In my opinion, I will, I thought Danny brought up a great point there. If they're still playing hard, man, this team is going to get some inflated numbers and we're going to get some good value on them down the stretch because they might be an underdog in every game after September in I was, a row. Have, I, you, have you seen this schedule? Yes. This is nuts. I was just about to so bring it up. They open NIU, Kennesaw State, and then it's at Clemson, UNC, Pitt, at Duke. The at Duke is probably the last game where, where they're favored, actually. Virginia away, they, they should be dogs. Hokies at home. They could clip the Hokies if the Hokies have quit on the year. That's certainly possible. Miami, Boston College, that one's kind of a coin flip for me-ish. Notre Dame and Georgia. This is a really tough schedule. If things go the wrong way, they could be like three and nine, two and ten. Pitt and Virginia Tech uh, are probably your like games that where we could see this go one way or the other. I mean, if Vegas is right, Pitt is not the dark horse that we think because they're just jumbled right in there with everybody else at seven with Boston College you have and to have Virginia Tech. Like, and you, you have got to, have to win that Duke game. Yeah, absolutely. That's like Georgia Tech could get blown out by Georgia and Clemson. The like the health of the program will be determined in some of those division games and some of those other conference games. They also have the uh, with Clemson as your annual uh, rival. It's a very Tennessee like pro, uh, very Tennessee like problem. Speaking of the Vols, who play Alabama every year, six, six. First of all, I don't see any hot seats because I mean Vanderbilt at three, South Carolina at four. Those are going to be first year coaches, you know, year zero type situations. Then we jump all the way up to Arkansas at five and a half, and and same with Sam Pittman, uh, Mississippi State at five and a half, and then Tennessee at six. The SEC is the one Power Five conference where I looked at and I did not have one name that jumped off that said, if Vegas is right, I think someone is out. Now, you've mentioned Coach O, 
so that is officially on the record and on the bet round of beers when the cover three team gets together, depending on if they go eight and four or worse or end up going nine and three or better. Um, I mean, should we just like blind fire on this under six for Tennessee? Yes. I mean, have we, if I, I know, have I mentioned on the podcast how like their game against Alabama is the eighth straight game that they'll be playing to start the season before having a bye? Like they don't have a bye until Halloween weekend. They start with Bowling Green, which as we discussed, that'll be a win. But Bowling Green, Pitt, Tennessee Tech, those are all winnable games. They're all at home. But then SEC starts at Florida, at Mizzou, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Alabama, without a break in between any of these games. This is a team that could be like beat to hell by the time their end of the season comes. And then the end of the season is where things get somewhat easier, although they do have Georgia, but they also have Kentucky, South Alabama, and Vandy. So by the time they get to those more winnable games, they might be dead in the water. I, this is a really good example of a, a a bet I don't want to place if I had to put my own money down. If I get to bet it on credit, I'm fine because I do think six is actually decently likely because the non-conference schedule is such a cakewalk, right? Like they are almost certain to be mm-hmm. three and one in in the non-conference. They do have Pitt, but they also get Vanderbilt. So if you just kind of swap Pitt and Vandy, let's count let's count Pitt Four. as a league game and Vandy as a non-con game because they'll they'll I think they'll still crush Vandy. Um, roster-wise, Vandy is a long way away. Then they have basically four games that I think they're they're almost assured to lose in Bama, Georgia, Florida, and Ole Miss. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I'm just, I, I kind of memorized this. Then they have four more that I feel like if they split them, they go six and six. And that's what? South Carolina, Missouri. Uh, help me out here. There's, there's two more. Uh, anyway, like uh, Pitt, and then there's there's, there's one more. Kentucky. Kentucky, right. yeah. Now, so the question really comes down to this. Assuming that you're good with them losing the four I said and winning the four I said, do you think they are more likely to go one and three in that other foursome or three and one? Because two and two pushes it for you. Not, I'm, I'm not going to take three and one. Uh, based I think on, it's one and three. Yeah, I think it's one and three. Yeah. With the realization, you very, very well may just be getting a refund on this bet because two and two is also decently likely in those. I want to find all the places like it just, I think Tom, you just laid it out and I was imagining as you listed each game in that eight game stretch before they're by about this team getting more and more tired and more and more beat down. And I'm thinking about a thin Tennessee defense playing Ole Miss and then turning right around and playing Alabama. Like we used to do the body blow theory, right? We would find the team after Alabama and be able to jump on the other side of them. How about these defenses that get cooked by Matt Corral? Let's come back the next week and do like, it's not body blow, cause, but there's something about like tired legs or something that we can do to really well, take advantage. Back all the pick sixes. For yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like you, you have to be in a track meet with Ole Miss. And so we got to jump on these teams the week after them when they're going to be uh, all, all warm down uh any other let's see tcu might not be the dark horse that i want them to be uh this number for tcu is down at seven juice to the over but they are listed behind oklahoma state at seven and a half we'll see maybe that's a maybe that's an opportunity uh, texas tech has the second worst in the big 12 they're down at four and a half four and a half doesn't feel like trouble zone to me am i giving matt wells too much room or too long of a leash yes yeah, I talked to a guy from um, a local paper there in Lubbock, and he was saying that 
you know, fans still don't like the hire, like, cause they didn't want him in the first place. And if you don't come in with some momentum, like it's uh, fan base is already hard to please. And if you're not that slam dunk home run hire and the fan base thought you were going to get somebody a bigger name, you kind of have that going against you. So I'm a little bit worried for Matt Wells, if they don't surpass that and, and maybe even get to six. I'm curious, Texas Tech fans, who did you think you were going to get? <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean that. I just want to know who is the name that they all wanted that Matt Wells was a huge disappointment. Like, was it a specific name or was it, we don't have a coach that's going to lose games 45 to 42 anymore. Is Matt Wells definitely the coach that doesn't lose games 45 to 42? I don't know, but I'm just saying like style wise, it's not like the yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. air raid shootout teams that they've grown accustomed to. And, and I think maybe prefer because they took Their on tempo the was still aggressive. What wasn't yeah. it? They, they just ran the ball a little more, but they were yeah. like that. That Texas game was an absolute shootout. Yeah. And uh, they took on the Houston Baptist church and that was like 62 to 58. You know, that was, that one was a back and forth game right at the beginning of the season. Uh, the, any other ones before Cincinnati's at 10 UCF's at nine and a half, but those feel right. Yeah. Now we've got over most of the ones I had that stood out. Um, Georgia's one and a half wins ahead of Florida. That doesn't shock me though. Cause it goes in line with what we were talking about on the last show. I think Florida by and large, is probably being a little undervalued. Yeah. One and a half felt like too big of a gap. I know Florida draws Bama, but Georgia draws Clemson, you know? Also who does, uh, um, who does LSU? What is Georgia's other game from the West? Because oh, it's Florida's, not. Oh, it's Auburn. Florida's is LSU. Georgia's is Auburn. Yeah, I mean, if you swap those, I think this is mostly explained by the schedule, for the most part. Yeah. Illinois over under three. You tell us. I mean, this is this is the time to get some value. I'm going over. I mean, they could beat UTSA. They could beat Purdue. They should beat Charlotte. So there's three right there. So then you're just pick, hoping to pick up a win against either like a Virginia, Maryland, Rutgers, Minnesota, Iowa, Northwestern. Oh, yeah. Go over. So, so do much. You break, do you break this down as like a 20% under, 45% push, you know, 35% over type situation where you feel like you have push protection to the under? 100% over. Okay. 100%. 100%. Okay. That, that's what I want to hear. So much orange and blue in that Illinois-Virginia game. I hope they both wear alternate uniforms and it looks amazing. <laughs> well, I'm just going to be mad because like I'll be looking at Virginia's uniforms compared to Illinois uniforms. I'll be like, see, this is what we could have right here. But, but we this don't. is what we have. Yeah. More of the like, do, doesn't Illinois kind of have like the Power Ranger almost looking like <laughs> very strong colors. Yes, yeah. Very yes. strong colors and the way it's pieced together in blocks. Uh, a reminder, we still have the mailbag coming up here at the end of the week. If you want to jump in, you can leave us a five-star review. In that review, put your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Together. documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases every song every lyric every video that you've ever been involved with 
they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.